Hi, everyone, and welcome to Stoked, the ultimate Star Trek online podcast. This is episode 123, and I want to say good morning to all of the fine folks in the JBLive.tv chat room who have joined me this Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific over JBLive.tv to rock out this week's episode. We got a big one. It's a big show this week. Lots of things we're going to be covering. Good morning, everybody in the chat room. It's good to see you. Uh, look at them go. <laughs> It's always so much fun. Uh, okay, so in this week's episode, we're going to introduce our new Talk Trek segment. And I'll tell you, when uh, I was first thinking about this segment, I was going to call it Back to Trek. And I kind of decided Talk to Trek has more of a catch, and the rest of the Jupiter Force fleet kind of ran with, this, with the Talk to Trek uh, name, and it seems to have stuck. But the original idea was I wanted to take snapshots from Stowe and look at them and pull them out and, and look at the Star Trek elements that might match up with moments in Star Trek canon. And then take snapshots of those moments of Star Trek canon and, and analyze them and see where the two might differ or see where the two might compare or see where one might have been inspired from the other. Obviously, can, uh, Stowe inspired from canon. Because one of the things that we all do as part of the Star Trek online community is when we talk about things in the game, we often use the phrase, it's not Star Trek enough. Or, man, it felt so Trek. Or they really nailed the Trek. Or that was a great Trek moment. You know, like I think of standing there on the sand with Obasek yelling at me and uh, at right at the last moment the camera pans around and the crew beams up because my ship saved me. Obviously, an awesome Star Trek moment. There's things like that throughout the game, but we never really truly define What's, what that is. What does it's not Trek enough mean? What, what is it's very Trek? What, is that, what does that mean? We never really say. So I thought, would there be some kind of way to come to some sort of hive mind group consensus of what is Trek? I don't actually know if that's possible. That might be too ambitious. But I'm going to attempt to try to get to that point as best we can. And that's what we're going to do with the Talk Trek segments. We're going to look at things and say, this is very Star Trek. See what they did here with this scene? Man, that's Star Trek. And then look for those moments in the game and vice versa. But it's a lot to wrap our brains around. And even if we can come to some sort of collective agreement where uh, you know, we can say, yeah, that is very Star Trek. And, and we'll do that through watching episodes of Star Trek or movies of Star Trek in these moments and talking about them with you. And of course, I'm going to encourage a lot of you to watch live and tell us in our live chat room what you think about these Star Trek moments. So we'll, we'll pre-announce ahead, a week ahead, which episodes or which movies of Star Trek we're going, to wa- we're going to want to watch to sort of get these moments from. So that way you can watch as well and leave comments or join the chat room and share your thoughts live. And then we'll kind of come to hopefully some sort of group consensus of what is Trek. Now, this week's episode, we're taking inspiration from the Romulan reruns. We'll often look at something in the game and grab our inspiration from there but not always. And this week, we looked at some of the best moments of Romulans in TNG and Toss, because it seemed to fit. And then next week, it's the 2800 or the 2200. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. But it's a very Dominion-heavy episode. You guys remember, it's the latest featured episode. Well, so we're going to look at some Deep Space Nine episodes, and we'll tell you which ones in our Talk Trek segment. And it's going to be a moment to sort of use this time where the reruns are featured, because honestly, we've already reviewed the reruns here on Stoked. We, uh, the 2800. We can't really review them again. But I think it'd be fun to take a Star Trek angle at it because we're all Star Trek fans. And it's a segment that the uh, fleet has been looking forward to a lot because we love to sit around on TeamSpeak and just talk about these classic Star Trek moments. And now we're going to talk about them with you. So we'll introduce that segment at the latter, latter half of the show. But if you also want to get your hands on some new Stowe Mission content, well, the Foundry is delivering these days. Not only is Cryptic doing a Foundry Spotlight this week, but we've also got a completely new Foundry Files. I call it the comic book version of 
Foundry missions. We'll tell you all about that in the Foundry files. Uh, but before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about some news. There's not a lot that's been announced this week, nothing really major, because I think Cryptic is mostly heads down on Season 6. However, if you recall from our interview back with Gozer, we learned that he's now the king of PvP. Gozer's going to be taking on PvP. And this Friday, he made a nice long post in the Star Trek Online forum, which he says is going to be the start of the state of PvP post that he's going to try to do of various different lengths and have various different content in them, depending on what's happened that week. But his first initial post was sort of setting the stage, and it seemed very honest and very raw. And so I wanted to read a few highlights from that, because uh, while you might not be a, P a huge PvP fan, this is more applicable to you than ever. So if you right now are not a current PvP PvPer, you don't really find it very interesting, then you might actually be the target audience for this. Existing PvP members might find some of these changes a little hard to swallow. Uh, that'll probably be an ongoing discussion that we have. But uh, So jumping right in, uh, put simply, the state of PvP in Stowe is fail, says Gozer. And I don't, I don't know why my screen's flashing like that, you guys. I apologize for that screen flicker. I will relaunch my desktop capture thing. Anyways, so he very brutally just puts it right out there. The state of PvP PvP in Stowe is fail, uh, equal fail. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty brutally honest for a, for a developer to come right out and say. Um, he says, I don't think I can be any clearer on this point. You players don't like it, and we the developers don't like it, and the data we pull from the servers backs that statement up as well. Uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, right now, PvP is in such bad shape that we, the developers, have to decide if we think we can turn this problem around. Participation in PvP-related activities is so low on an hourly, daily, and weekly, and monthly basis that it could, in fact, just be completely taken out of stow and it would not have an impact on the overall number of people that log into the game and play in any significant way. So the state of PvP is bad. Um, all things that I think a lot of us had maybe inferred and sort of guessed, but this is, you know, coming right from Gozer. So we know that they are looking at this as like, this is a critical situation and they've really got to fix it. And they're willing to make some dramatic changes because the impacts are not as significant. Um, right at this moment, I'm the, well, there we go. Right at this moment, I'm the only resource PVP gets. My job is to figure out if I can find a way to improve the entire system in a way that does not impact development of the rest of the game in any significant way. I'm going to do my best to make PVP a viable Stowe gameplay feature that appeals to a much larger, larger audience than it does now. Okay, that seems very reasonable. Uh, he says, also, this means that uh, many of you are not going to like the changes that I'm forced to make in order to meet these goals. But before you get too upset at some, some change, you might want to consider the, alternate, the alternative, which would be no PvP at all. So, sort of setting the stage there, right? We're going to introduce some massive sweeping changes to PvP. This has to be done in order to save it. And the alternative would be we take PvP out because it's just not in a state that we're proud of. Um, which is also... Um, very telling in itself. Uh, he says, uh, he goes on to give an example. And I thought this example was very telling. Uh, the example reads here. I see lots of threads about KDF players having access to gear that fe uh, Fed players do not. This isn't going to be a problem in the new system since there will not be any Fed versus KDF PvP. All PvP in the new system will be cross-faction queues. That is a pretty big change, isn't it? Uh, so, not a lot here that I, I want to chat about directly with the details of this stuff, but what I do want to focus on is how great I think it is that Gozer is now the owner of PvP. In uh, some threads later on, he explains that 
even even if it means that he is divided amongst his many responsibilities with PvP, just the fact that PvP will now have a representative in Cryptic Studios that can go to producers and ask for resources, can go to stall and get things put on the schedule, can go to systems and get certain systems made, can go to QA and get certain... Thir- there's just cer- certain things that before needed a cheerleader to push through that it didn't have. PvP didn't have an owner, and now it does. On top of that, Gozer's been with the Stowe development community since the beginning. He's one of their MVPs. So to have an MVP taking up something as critical as PvP means that he should have the leeway and the clout he needs to lean on certain teams to get the things done. This is a great this is a great thing, I think, for PvP. Even if the end development isn't something that everybody loves, I think the opportunity is there to work with Gozer to move it into move it in a direction that the Stoke community really likes. And I think Gozer is taking a very honest and open approach with the community saying, you know, maybe we've had disagreements with the STFs in the past. Maybe you haven't liked this or that maybe you don't like the transporter that i made which is an old story all of these things he's sort of just putting it all out there saying that's okay you know what we're starting with on ground zero with this and also he indicates in previous threads that you know he's keeping an eye on how the community responds how people work with him the 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 quality of dialogue people engage with him and then those people may find themselves selected for some pvp testing in the future you know there's there's a lot at play here when a new development into an mmo starts and the community is being involved at the ground level like this, there's a real opportunity to have the community have an impact on that development as long as the dialogue is civil and respectful. And when that happens, you know, you can really see some great results. And I think Gozer has taken a great first step here. Um, I, I, am, I am more excited about what Gozer might do for PvP uh, than I am for Season 6 in some regards. Because PvP seems like something... Uh, with Gozer talking about it now, uh, it seems more tenuable. It seems like something I can actually wrap my brain around. The Season 6 features are all remain vague and nebulous, and a lot of us don't even think we'll even see the details in those Season 6 features until they hit triple, like a lot of previous updates. And a lot of times when the dev comes on, like Dan Stahl has done in the past, and said, well, I don't know what you're complaining about. Season 6 is going to have fleet star-based progression, it's going to have five-man missions... Well, honestly, those comes across as details that have just recently been firmed up that he's then talking about in the form, like we've known about them all along. How could we have not have considered them? To me, season six still feels very much in flex, like certain details are still being ironed out. Now, that could be a completely wrong, but that's just what we've been communicated so far. There's, for these big season features, they, they like to pull a little bit of a Steve Jobs trick on us and keep it all behind the curtain and then go, ha ha, if they can. Uh, it could be also that it's just under heavy development still. It just doesn't feel concrete, whereas the PvP stuff feels like it's longer term, like it's going to be stuff that won't, we won't see the total fruits of for a while, but it feels like something I'm already able to watch the development path on. And it, seems like, it feels like something we're going to see soon. And that is making me, or it feels like something we're going to see the results of in some capacity soon, even if it's not the completed uh, PvP overhaul. And that excites me. And, and it excites me that it, ha- that it has an owner now. And I, even though PvP has been significantly underrated in, in the surveys that we've seen, if you can believe those surveys, if it's done right, I could definitely pick it up. I find PvP fun in bursts. It's just it gets old after a while. If there's some variation, some change-up, something at stake, I think I could find PvP an interesting long-term end-game type of approach. So, We'll see where PvP goes with that, and we'll uh, stay on top of it and maybe even see if we can't twist Gozer's ear from time to time to get updates from him. All right, well, that's all I've got for the top of the show. Let's jump into the Foundry Files.
welcome to the Foundry Files. Uwe and Murphy are back. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hello. Hey. A- and this week we're reviewing The Needs of the Few, which uh, is created by Kirkfat just very recently. At the time of this recording, 324 plays, an average rating of 4 out of 5 stars. It's a purely diplomatic mission, so I want to make that uh, right up front. This is a non-combat mission, although there are a few tense moments where you think some combat might break out. Uh, highly recommended for players who are more into story and not so much for shooting stuff. I've said it before, I said it on the live stream today, these types of missions are like my my Star Trek comic books. If I was going to read a Star Trek comic, which I do from time to time, I would instead sit down and play a Foundry mission like this because it's great dialogue, it's interactive, and uh, things like that. But uh, enough with that. Why don't we jump into the review? Murphy, do you want to start us off with the story? All right, I shall start us off then. The mission starts with your ship on the way to Elonia, or as Chris liked to call it, Elephantia, or Elephant, yeah. of elephants, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I had to call you on that. Uh, oh, so a world that's currently applying for the Federation, and you're going here to ch- make your own observations on the culture and see if they really should be accepted for membership or not. It's up to you to make that determination. And so you arrive here, and you're thrown into loads and loads and loads of detail about this culture and how it works. It's economics, it's government, all of that. So basically, the first half of the mission is learning a lot about this uh, society, which is mainly a scientific society. They're now all for science. Science is their high class here. And that's going to be a big part of the mission is Uh learning that science has really changed the way their culture has uh, adapted for their planet. And so a lot of this detail, though, can be optional, but it isn't. You have to go read through it at least to progress the mission, and I think we would all like it to be optional, because a lot of this is dialogue that that you won't really need in the end. But it is nice detail. That's why I wish it would be optional, because a lot of this is great. If you want to know all about this planet and its society, great detail. It definitely fleshes out this new culture that you meet in the game. Yeah, it feels like a very... That's a great way to put it, Murphy. It feels like a very rich culture of uh, of a species that uh, would very well fit into the Star Trek universe and is mm-hmm. sort of in this interesting phase in their society and, and how they come into this overall larger intergalactic society of other of worlds you know it has a lot of political undertones in the story i actually almost actually said countries because it's very much like uh uh, other countries with some 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 issues that we look at from our perspective as bad human rights issues something that some people look at and would be very judgmental about but then when you learn more about the situation you kind of start to see it from their perspective and have a little Mm -hmm. bit better of an understanding and i felt like this mission was pretty successful at that what did you what, what did you think of the overall story we thought it was really good. Like the plot definitely has all that political feel and stuff to it. And it's really nice. We don't want to give too many spoilers out on that, but yeah, you're right. It does definitely hit a lot of that political stuff, which I think some of the greatest foundry mission we've seen is some of the greatest star Trek hit this on the head, these pol- political and just social issues. And that's what makes great star Trek overall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lots of writing and uh, things like that. Did you have mm-hmm. any major issues writing wise you bumped into? Um, not really. Just a lot of dialogue back to back to back. It could be mm-hmm. separated to make it a little more like not overwhelming to mm-hmm. most of your player base. Um, a few other things we'd like to bring up in story section is okay. uh, there weren't re- really any characters. There was only really the uh, the guy at the desk. 
Yeah, the, the admiral guy yeah. that you talk to or whatever. The, yeah. yeah, there's the admiral who's a minor one and the guy on the planet who's your contact or whatever, the diplomat. And really, that's about it. Not really any major characters, but which you would want to see from a diplomatic mission because it's all story and you'd like to see some uh, memorable characters. So that's one thing that could be improved in the story here. Um, some great canons usage with the Federation Charter. It actually is quoted as uh, you go through the mission. Yeah. Um, there's some minor touchstoning in some of the dialogue with the uh, Genesis device that uh, one of the colonists brings up during the mission. And uh, there's no spelling and grammar issues. So uh, bonus there. <laughs> yeah, especially considering all of the amount of writing that's in this yeah. one. What was the overall rating you gave the uh, story section? Story received an 8.07. It's our seventh ranked uh, founder mission in the story. There you go. All right. Well, uh, did there, for a mission that was very dialogue heavy, why don't we talk about any technical achievements that you noticed that came through during the mission? All right. So we had some great maps created by this user. First of all, he built this the colony outside, the first colony you go to in this mission, which is just nice. You can definitely see it's more advanced culture and great. Me and we were just looking around at that for a while. Um, and then one of the maps in the uh, foundry is a pre-made Cardassian colony. Yeah. And that one I've seen used a lot in the foundry just for your generic alien colony or your Cardassian colony. But Kirk Fat managed to take this map and make it look almost brand new. I did not recognize it until I brought up the mini map. It's got like walls around it. It's pinned in. There's yeah. like smoking chimneys everywhere. It really looks different when you first look at it. And he's put a lot of detail into this as you walk around this uh, section of the uh, planet. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Okay, so and then there were uh, no pointless map transitions in this mission, which were really nice. Each map progressed the story in a different way, so you didn't feel like when you were sitting at one of those loading screens, like, why maybe. did I Maybe. I would argue maybe the very first map where you go in and talk to the Admiral guy for the first time, that may, is it possible that could have been, I guess it's not possible foundry-wise to have that dialogue in sector space, like over like a hailing frequency, and then I could have just beamed directly to the planet and skipped that first, that first room? You could have. But I think it made a little more sense to be there at his office for story-wise. And it does but, at the end kind of bring it all back together. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think you could have done it in sector space, but it made a lot more sense to do it on the planet when you first meet him. Because that's what would have happened if you were visiting the planet. You'd first go talk to that guy. So. Right, right. Uh, what did you overall, or if there's any other points on the technical, feel free to mention them. But overall, what did you rate the technical section? An 8.0. Oh, okay. ranked in our uh, foundry missions. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, of course, time to move on to the gameplay section. Uwe is uh, re currently restarting his video. He's timed it, so that way his video hopefully will come back right as he's supposed to talk about the, uh, the gameplay area, uh, which uh, now goes to him. Uwe, why don't you tell us about the gameplay? First thing to note is, you mentioned earlier, Chris, this is a diplomatic mission only. This means no combat at all. Right. Uh, there's no space or ground combat, and as a result... The combat scores on the spreadsheet were taken out of the final scores because we do not want to punish the author of having a diplomatic yeah. animation. Um, there is also no space gameplay uh, right. because there were no space maps, and this was also taken out of the overall scoring system for the same reasons as the combat. Don't punish the author. Uh, there was ground gameplay, naturally, but it was weak. There's a lot of running around. There's next to no dialogue options from NPCs, there's no optional interactable objects, there's no puzzles which could have improved the section of the mission. Um, a shame for a diplomatic mission because it really could have vamped up the uh, campus to compensate for the lack of combat. There was another ending to compensate though. Yes, uh, this okay. Is, this is uh, dialogue driven due to finding limitations. Uh, there are references to the Prime Directive 
uh, which are present and they dictate your decisions. So if a specific option is chosen, there are multiple sub-options to further choose what happens at the end. This gives the player a wide range of choices and makes them really feel like they're making the decisions since they are the captain. Um, but to refer back to an earlier point, there was difficulty with the scoring sheet due to this no combat and no space gameplay. Uh, this makes the un- a unique result for this mission in terms of gameplay due to eliminating three separate categories from the gameplay scoring sheet. Right. It's a great p- mission nonetheless, but uh, it did put it in first place for gameplay with an overall result of 8.5. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if I would agree with that as an overall rate. It seems yeah. more like a technicality. Yeah, it's... It was our first problem with the score sheet in the gameplay section because we had to take out three different categories. Without it, it made more sense if we kept those categories in. But we, again, didn't want to penalize him for the the, the combat and stuff. Right. I think originally it was in like seventh place or something, and it felt right. But again, he didn't intend for it to have combat and that stuff. So, Right. Okay. Well, that's there. So overall an 8.5, huh, gentlemen? Well, uh, Murphy, why don't you sum it up and take us out? Yeah, so overall, this is a great story. It is a great Star Trek story, and if you are a fan of great Star Trek stories, this mission has that. And so we highly recommend it for those people who love Star Trek stories like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Great maps, great environments. It definitely adds to the feel of the mission. The only section I'd say that the author could improve is gameplay. And since you can't really add many gameplay options because you're trying to make this non-combat, I guess the only thing you could really add is maybe a little more optional dialogue for conversations and puzzles. Because the one thing I think would have made this mission a lot better is some sort of puzzle, which there isn't any in this one at all. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, in fact, I was kind of expecting one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. In fact, Same. one of the reasons I was like, so I got to pay close attention to the dialogue, right? Because there's probably like some sort of puzzle. It's going to make me remember everything. Mm-hmm. But there no, wasn't. Never happened. No, and that's kind of okay, too. Cause it's all right. I mean, it is driven by the dialogue, really. But, but again, I think uh, my personal opinion is a good diplomatic mission would take a puzzle or something. But yeah, yeah. still a great mission overall with story and technical. What was the total rating? Uh, 8.08, our fourth-ranked uh, Foundry mission currently. There we go, there we go. Uh, Ui, any final thoughts to close us out with? Don't forget to play the 2800 uh, replay Ooh. series in a few days' time for the limited-time reward. Especially go and play a Facility 4028 to see an NPC that looks like Mav. Oh, wait, it doesn't look like Mav because he shaved his stash. Yeah, he yeah. shaved his stash, yeah, so now, yeah. Well, um, maybe we can start a campaign to get that stash pack, because that was a mighty we stash. fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was completely shocked to see that he had no stash and was blue last week. I mean, that yeah. was a shock. The blue thing. So, see, the blue thing was is the the video the vi- that particular video the the color filters on there. It took hours. It took it took ten hours to render, and so it would have taken another ten hours to render a replacement file. So I was like, ah, what am I gonna do? Got to get it out. <laughs> uh, that's totally not a cover up that maps and bullying, but anyway. <laughs> right. It could have been just revealing his editorial. Just, just saying. Or or bullying. I like that. Yeah. It's probably uh, bullying. So yeah, send your uh, Foundry missions to foundryfiles.jupiterforce.net. That's how we got this mission. It was submitted to us by Kirk Fett. Um, so anytime you have missions, send it right there. Also, go check out the uh, Foundry Spotlight missions. Cryptic just started that up again, and uh, they're working with some people over at Starbase UGC right now to highlight some great missions made by the Foundry community. And this week's was Federation Desperation by Mazikan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's exactly what I was hoping Cryptic would do, is put a spotlight on there. And of course, hopefully that combined with community efforts like our own and, and uh, some of the links you put in here, like Starbase UGC, yep. Primetime UGC, uh, Wiki UGC, Broadcast UGC, of course, all of those are also great community resources 
Um, and, uh, and you know, the Founder Files is working towards releasing on standalone episodes in the future, too, yeah. so we can try to get more exposure out there because there's always new content being generated in the Foundry. And if you want to get your hands, hands on new Star Trek mission content, uh, the Foundry Files is going to hook you up with uh, more and more missions to take a look at all the yeah. time. So One we'll more talking... thing I'd just like to uh, oh, yeah. throw in there is sure. with these, uh, Cryptic will be releasing these every Friday. And I also heard a rumor that at the end of the month, they will be posting these on the uh, Star Trek online, not Star Trek online, the StarTrek.com website. And I think that would be really great to try to hook in people outside of Star Trek Online because it's showing great stories that are written by fans. Fan fiction that can actually play. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that's just great. Yeah, totally agree. All right, guys. Well, I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. See you. Welcome to our new Talk Trek segment. Mav joins me, and we're going to kick around three episodes this week. Balance of Terror, The Defector, and Face of the Enemy. Now, this is our first Talk Trek segment, so it'll be our bumpiest. As we refine this as we go, we'll get a little better at it. But Mav and I were kicking around the idea of chatting about some Romulan episodes that we loved from The Next Generation, and also one from Toss. Uh, in fact, in our suggestion list, we even include one from Enterprise. But I focused on the, the Toss and Next Generation. All right. And uh, I, because you know, they were doing the reruns, the Romulan reruns just recently. And it seemed like right. a good time to talk about Romulans and look at some great Romulan moments. Uh, the first episode I want to chat about is uh, Balance of Terror. This okay. is sort of one of the first definitive Romulan episodes in Star Trek. Now, Mav, have, have you seen Balance of Terror? You, it's, it's an original one, so I know not everyone watches the original series. No, unfortunately, I did not get a chance to really get caught up on the TOS series. Uh, so this one is going to be all on you because I haven't had a chance to preview it myself. That's great. What's, what's interesting about it is in the first uh, about five-minute mark into this episode, there is a, a very tactical analysis of the situation where you have Spock telling the crew over the inner ship intercom a lot of tactical details about the Romulans. We learned that before this episode, we'd never seen a Romulan, uh, that all of the negotiations had been done over subspace communication, and that's how a treaty was formed. Uh, we learned a lot of different things about their tactics. You also get to see like a, uh, a territory map for the first time of Romulan space where Remus is indicated on the map. So it's not just something they busted out for uh, Nemesis, that Remus was on the map from the very original days. Uh, and uh, it also has an interesting uh, tone of racism underneath it, where one of the crew members is a little uh, racist against Vulcans and Romulans. And there's an interesting dialogue around the 14-minute mark where he starts to kind of berate Kirk for some decisions that Kirk is making. And I, okay. you know, you'd immediately expect Kirk to like spin around and smack him across the mouth and tell him to shut up, right? And just give him a nice, uh, uh, what for? But Kirk right. actually stops and listens and goes, well, that's a good point, and changes his order. And it's like, you know, so he's still, even though somebody's hostile, Kirk's still able to take input from him. Uh, I'd like to tell you about a couple interesting facts about this episode. Go ahead. All right. Well, first of all, it's actually based off of a World War II movie uh, from the 1950s, from the early 1950s. Uh, called uh, The Enemy Below. Um, so that's why it's, it's got a very sub uh, feeling to it. In fact, so much so that they 
they have a, a moment where Spock actually makes some sound, and it's a big deal because now they're going to be able to hear them. Of course, they're in space, right? So, <laughs> you know, sound travel isn't really a big deal in space, but they were playing along with it. It has a very submarine hunt-and-seek look for it because that Romulan ship is cloaked. Uh, this episode was also the first uh, Toss episode that was remastered when they did the remastering. Interesting okay. enough. Uh, going on, uh, there's some interesting music that's in this one that's uh, during the wedding ceremony. We also do see a wedding ceremony in this episode. But uh, what I liked about this episode that really kind of set its, uh, set its Trek canon uh, in stone, this was the first episode where we saw the introduction of the Romulan Star Empire. Okay. Where we actually ever heard those phrases. Uh, it's also uh, one of the uh, first times we see a Romulan ship, of course. And uh, they originally were going to be the Klingons, but they changed them to the Romulans at the last moment, which is kind of an interesting little interesting backstory to it. Uh, and also you'll see a lot of Romulans that wear helmets in this episode. And this is this is like one of these things that I consider to be like a workaround hack that we have to see a lot in Stowe sometimes, is they wore helmets because they simply didn't want to have to spend the time to give them prosthetic ears. <laughs> so, anyways, Balance of Terror is a great episode, but let's move on to one of my favorite TNG episodes of all time. It's also okay. a favorite of the IRC chat room, and it's a great Romulan episode, and that is The Defector from Season 3, yes. Episode 10 of The Next Generation. Yes. Uh, as as uh, James UK put it in the chat room, this episode helped make me a fanatic for this series. Uh, it's uh, TNG season three was extremely fruitful, but this is one of the great ones. And uh, okay. for those of you who don't recall, a, a defector comes uh, in a very dramatic way, which this originally aired in 1990. This is mm -hmm. a very, very nice CG, or wasn't CG, but a very nice space th uh, scene where the Romulan ship is escaping from a, uh, from, a, uh, from a Romulan bird of prey, and they're firing mm -hmm. at it, and it's all happening right in front of the Enterprise, and the Enterprise swoops in and extends its shields around the Romulan uh, cruiser, and... Uh, it's a very dramatic moment where this defector comes on, and he turns out to be a much bigger deal than he originally lets on. And, of course, it's all a ruse. There wasn't mm -hmm. actually anything there. Um, it's a total plant, I remember. Yeah. This story, originally, uh, the, uh, the tease, the part where this episode starts out, where they're, they're doing some Shakespeare stuff, that's written by Ronald Moore, who went, later went on to do BSG. Uh, but the rest of the episode uh, is really written by other members of the TNG staff. It was sort of an ensemble put together. But it does start out on the holodeck where, you know, Data and Picard are playing around. It's got some powerful scenes. Uh, one of my favorite ship flybys in Star Trek of all time, one of them, is at the 8 minute and 47 mark. There's this, there's the little Romulan cruiser ship sitting right off uh, the Enterprise. And they pan around it. And they sort of reveal the ship. And there's this great combination of Captain's Log, Stardate 8471921. And then uh, also, you know, music and, and, and Star Trek ship sounds all kind of come together as they pan around this awesome ship. It's a great moment uh, in that episode. Uh, also, something that I thought was really clever that didn't happen a lot in Star Trek is uh, that around the 20-minute mark, uh, it's actually 22 minutes in, do you remember the scene where Picard calls Data into his ready room? And he says, Data, I want you to keep a record of all of the events that happen so that way mm -hmm. you have an impartial log. Right, because the because a lot of the information they weren't sure they wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be violating any treaties or anything that they had had, but they weren't one hundred percent sure because Picard was about to make decisions that could have thrust the Federation directly into a war and in yeah. direct violation of the treaties. Yeah. So yeah, they wanted to make sure that they wanted an impartial record of everything that was going on. No tampered logs. No you know secret secret stuff. They wanted to make sure everything was recorded. Pretty and much. they and 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 Picard felt that data would be an excellent record a because he could record literally everything mm -hmm. and then b because uh he has no emotions he wouldn't be putting right. emotional bias on the official record which is right. a very clever thing to do with data 
And also, there's a there's an amazing line in this episode that the uh, Romulan admiral speaks, where he says, "One world's butcher is another world's heroes." What you called a massacre, we called campaigns. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so true because we look at again. This is a Star Trek moment. We talked about this in the Foundry Files. The United States looks at things that happens in other countries, and we pass judgment. And we, or, or we, or perfect, or better yet, we enter countries and say they're campaigns. Well, people in those countries would say that they're an incursion. Uh, it's it's it plays on some heavy stuff, and and they deal with it very elegantly. Yeah. Um, also, also. Good. One of the great we got to get out of here moments is when they go to the planet to see if there really is this military base. And there's nothing there. And there's nothing there. The Romulans show up and it's Tomalok, which, by the way, is Tomalok's last mainline appearance. He shows up later in TNG in alternate timelines, but mm-hmm. in the main timeline, this is his last appearance, and yet he's, right. he's a great villain. Uh, Tomalok shows up and starts threatening Picard, saying, we're going to blow you up, we're going to hang your hull in, on Romulus, we're going to make an example of you, and just start laying it down there. And they have some great back and forth, and when Picard says, you know, we're ready, we're prepared to die, we'll fight you to the end, Tomalok says, is that all you got? And Picard says, no, Mr. Worf. And Worf taps a few things on the consoles, and, f- and four birds of prey decloak surrounding the Romulans. They had brought Klingons along with them because they figured it was a trap. It's a great moment, and it's sort of like this gotcha. You might get us, but we're definitely going to get you moment. It was a huge power play moment. Yeah, yeah. And so and then they all spread, and they all go out, and they, uh, they uh, go their separate ways. Great Picard moment, great twist moment, uh, a ton of fun. Yep. Um, anyways, uh, the... Uh, the uh, other th- note I wanted to make is the actor who plays the Romulan defector is a mm-hmm. uh, uh, prolific uh, Star Trek actor. He also plays uh, the scientist who experimented on Odo in mm-hmm. uh, Deep Space Nine. He's that Bajoran guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays, uh, I got a link to him in the show notes if people want to check him out. He plays a bunch of different roles. His name is uh, James Soylen. I'm not sure exactly on the pronunciation of his name, but uh, you recognize him. He also played uh, Alexander Rosenko, the uh, future from uh, right. TNG First Boat. He was the mm-hmm. all-grown-up one. He even played a role in uh, Voyager as well. So he starred in TNG, DS9, and Voyager. So uh, there you go. So yeah, that is, uh, that is an awesome Romulan mission. But uh, the last Romulan mission I thought we'd talk about is Face of the Enemy. The Enemy, yep. Now this, uh, this is probably my least favorite of the set, but it's still a really great mission. It's sort of my favorite Deanna Troy episode. You remember, Mav, this is where she wakes up and the camera opens, and it's kind of, it opens with her it's eyes. It's all and dark, yeah. It's dark, and then up above, like a doorway or something, there's a big Romulan logo. And she kind of stumbles around and figures out what's happened, and then, all, and then things start moving really actually pretty fast. The pacing yeah. of this episode is, is pretty good. And uh, I read behind the scenes that the pacing was particularly something they had a lot of trouble with. Like, they felt like they had a great beginning and a great end, but then they got stuck right in the middle, and they weren't sure what to do. But in the end, I think it came together. A pretty good mission. I, I would agree. I would agree with that because it seemed you're right. The episode, you know, you started out with mystery and then the revealing of the mystery. I mean, it was really intense at the beginning, you know, her trying to f- remember that she's undercover. Right. You know, deep, deep, deep undercover. And having know, to act try- appropriately as a Tal Shiar officer. Right. You know, in you know, her coaching from from the other spy, you know, and then the end where she completely asserts herself and, and gets deep into the character before. Right. You know, before, you know, the final reveal. 
And uh, she has to take some risks. She has to answer some some tough questions from the from the captain of or that not. Romulan ship. And and what's interesting is the dialogue for that captain was written for a male actor they had in mind who didn't work out. They went with a female actress and they left the dialogue as the same. And it's some great dialogue for that actress. It's 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 really well done. Uh, I I liked the parts of this episode uh, that were were sort of new to Trek. That's what I really enjoyed about this episode is because throughout this whole episode, you see way more of the interior of a bird of prey than you've ever seen. You learn a lot more about Romulan command structure just by living in that world for one episode. So you get a ton of background stuff. And I read that the uh, set designer wasn't very happy with the way it turned out in the end. Hmm. He had actually uh, designed a bridge that was going to be in the shape sort of of the front of the Romulan bird of prey. So it was going to be multi-level. And the captain would stand at the top at a rail with no chair, always standing, and a wall behind her because no Romulan captain would trust her other crew members to ever come up behind her. Which right. is kind of an interesting insight, I guess. It was also one of these episodes that, you know, that got you that kind of inside look into the Tal Shiar. Very limited inside look into the Tal Shiar, but how the regular Romulan military feared the Tal Shiar. They never really knew who exactly was Tal right. Shiar right. until they exposed themselves. And usually, once they've revealed that they're Tal Shiar, you normally died, according to how a lot of those people felt. It's like, right. oh, it's a Tal Shiar. You know, so it's... It's one of those episodes that you, you get a sneak peek into a, the secret organization. I guess the equivalent could almost be... Uh, like the well, CIA, I, maybe? The, well, in, in, in thinking Trek terms, you could almost oh. say Section 31. Oh, uh, yeah, they're Section 31. Yeah. You know, but, you know, they'll do whatever it takes to get the mission done, you know, but they never truly reveal their intentions until, you know, unless they absolutely have to. And even then, they're going to give you all kinds of loops and make you think what, you, what right. they want you to think. Right. Uh, I guess I called it Bird of Prey. I meant Romulan Warbird, of course. Uh, here's a little interesting background note. Uh, originally, they were, gonna, they were considering Dr. Crusher for the role. They weren't going to have Deanna Troy. But then mm. as they started working through the episode, they're like, you know, Troy's empathic abilities would be very, very helpful. And they do use that as an out. Yep. Uh, there's this freighter captain that the ship's talking to and, and Troy walks over to her companion spy and says, that person is lying. I can sense <laughs> it. And then he blows them up. Yep. Uh, which was, you know, they wouldn't really have had a way for Crusher to know that without the empathic abilities. Right. Uh, um, see, any other things that I'll know? I'll jump through here. Uh, the Tal Shiar appears to be very uh, bureaucratic in some senses, I noticed too, which is, which is kind of funny. Uh, the uh, most time we ever spend on a Romulan ship, and uh, as noted in the Star Trek Generation Companion, this episode marked the debut of Worf's ponytail, which he would retain the look for the rest of TNG and Deep Space Nine. And the Worf ponytail was heavily uh, uh, lobbied for by Michael, uh, what's his last name? Michael Dorn? Dorn. Yeah, Michael Dorn. Jeez, I'm blanking today. I have a blanky blank memory. Uh, where Michael Dorn had lobbied for the change for some time, and uh, he said that the Worf's hair used to remind him of a Klingon that had gone to a beauty salon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I actually, I agree. I like the ponytail, ponytail wharf too. So a, good one. a huge contribution to Star Trek canon right there, of course. Anyways, a great set of episodes. Now, next week, we're going to cover episodes that fit in with the 2800 series. And that is Call to Arms. Okay. Sacrifice of Angels. Okay. And the Hippocratic Oath. All Deep Space Nine episodes. Now, that Hippocratic Oath one is, the, if you recall, is the one where O'Brien and uh, Bashir get captured and they have to help uh, some Jemadar break away from the white or they attempt to help some Jemadar break uh, away from the yes, white, right? Yes. And of course, Sacrifice of Angels is the uh, prelude to uh, uh, the whole 
2800 series where they get zapped away in the wormhole and uh, Jemadar disappear. And uh, Call to Arms, if everyone remembers, is a great Deep Space Nine battle episode, which uh, also fits in very well with all of this. So I don't want to spoil too much of it, but uh, check them out. We have links to their Memory Alpha uh, posts in the show notes, and we'll be watching them. If you want to watch along and then join our chat room and give us your thoughts right now or uh, even leave comments where you watch it, we invite you to do so. All right, Mav. Hey, Mav, uh, congrats on, uh, on uh, your first radio uh, uh, broadcast last night. Yeah, yeah, last night, or actually, it was the crack of dawn this morning. Yeah, uh, I hit head my for a sleepy episode. Mav. <laughs> head for sleepy Mav, right. Uh, if for those that didn't get it uh, last week, I'll go ahead and uh, this will be my, my community feedback tie-in here. Uh, you know, I premiered for the first time on Trek Radio Live. Uh, the shows right now are scheduled at, from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., uh, Eastern Standard Time, uh, Saturday mornings. I'm looking to pick up some more uh, time slots. I kind of I can work with people to come on, you know, to pick up extra coverage and stuff like that. But right now, that's the that's when it's scheduled. It's called a Jupiter Station. It's my little homage to Jupiter Force and Jupiter Broadcasting. Um, it's primarily a music. It's primarily a music show. Uh, there'll be you know some tossed in news bits here and there. But I didn't want to take away from what I do with Stoked. So that's why I'm playing primary music. However, you know, we're, you can easily join the chat uh, for Trek Radio uh, in-game at trekradio.net, which is the uh, in-game Stoke chat channel. You can also, I'm um, working on setting up a database where people will be able to actually look at my library of music and make requests live that I can put on the air. We also have a TeamSpeak on Trek Radio, which is basically uh, teamspeak.trekradio.net. Uh, which you can log into and join me in studio and, you know, chit-chat if you want. And if you got something interesting to bring along, uh, especially Foundry authors, we're getting really heavy on the Foundry file stuff here now here at Stoked. Um, so if you've got a mission or something you'd like uh, to maybe showcase and you, could, you can't get it on Stoked, feel free to join me on Trek Radio. There you go. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, so we'll be back right here next week. We're live at Saturdays at 11 a.m. Pacific at jblive.tv. And uh, join us next week for that. And then we release on Tuesdays, usually uh, very early in the morning Tuesdays, sometimes even late Monday nights, where you can get this show in HD, mobile formats, audio only, streaming, however you like it, along with links to all the things we talked about over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right, Mav, well, uh, you go get some rest, okay? Make sure you send in your emails. I didn't get any really this last week. So if you've got anything that you think that we've missed, didn't cover, again, you know, bugs, exploits, like I said, Foundry Files missions, or just general comments, please feel free to email us at stoked at jupiterbroadcasting.com. There you have it. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Stoked, and we'll see you right back here next week. When we when when we spin Foundry Files off onto its own show, that's gonna be your intro. It's the, the Foundry intro Files, the Foundry Files, we did it. Pain. That's better. He's healed. Party, hey everybody. We tried to get a screenshot of me trying to get the live long and prosper sign on the wall, but it didn't work because it goes in front of your body. So. Oh look at that. That's cool.